Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Father God, for your goodness and mercy. We thank you, Father, for your presence. Father, we come expecting, Father God, to hear from you. Father, I thank you for a timely word. I thank you, Father God, that you have a word for each and every one of us here, Father God. So, Lord, give them ears, ears to hear and give them a ready mind and a ready heart to receive your word. Father, I thank you that you give me the utterance to speak forth your word in a, in a manner that is plain and simple, Father, in the name of Jesus. And, Father, we just thank you tonight for all that was said and done. We expect to hear from you. We expect mighty things to happen. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We've been talking to you on the series on knowing your true identity. And we were, well, actually we're going to pick up where we left off last week because we were talking about the newness or the new creation. We, we read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 where the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things become new. That's a verse that's very special to my heart because it changed my life. And when we begin to understand what that verse means, I believe that many of us will be set free and delivered from our past lives. Because I believe that there are people here tonight that are still clinging to some of the things that are in their past. And there are things that, that, there are things that, they, that they have a hard time letting go of. And by that I'm talking about things that they may have done in the past that they're still carrying the burden of, of, uh, of guilt, condemnation, and feelings of unworthiness. Well, tonight... I want you to understand that all things have passed away and all things have become new. So therefore, whatever it may be in your life, it's time to cut ties, end the relationship, and move forward. Amen? Amen. We talked about what it meant to be dead in Christ, or dead in our sins. And I used the analogy of a boyfriend and a girlfriend. If you remember that, and uh, I know some of you should be forgetting that by now. (laughs) But the thing is that when you're in a relationship and you decide to break up, what do you do? You end the relationship. And when you end the relationship, you go your separate ways. And when you go your separate ways, you're separate from each other. And so therefore, you have nothing more to do because you cut ties. And that's what the Bible means when we are dead to sin. We've ended all relationship to sinful activities and our old way of life because we're new creatures in Christ. We're a new creation. And if there's anything that I am, if there's one thing that I wish that I want you to get is the fact that who you are in Christ, that you're new. You're not old. You're not used. You're brand new. And that should mean something to you. And so tonight we're going to begin to look at the power behind this new creation. The power behind this new identity. Last week we talked about the gentleman Oscar Cervantes and and his life. And if you remember, he was a man who lived a life of crime. He was, throughout his, even through his young age, he, uh, he was always getting into trouble. And um, as he got older, he got into worse crimes, more serious crimes. It's said that he uh, committed brutal crimes. He's been in and out of jail 17 times. And so you can see how this, the kind of life this man was. A very violent, very brutal man. And it's said that he, not only was he in jail in and out 17 times, at least in his life, but the, the psychiatrist, when they evaluated him, they labeled him as someone who's beyond help. So this is what he was known as, a violent person who committed brutal crimes and he was beyond help until he came to Christ. 
And when he came to Christ, he was transformed by the power of God from a violent man who was beyond help to a kind and caring individual. That's the transforming power of God. He stepped into from his old life into a new life. He discarded his old identity and took on a new identity. He was once a violent person. He became a very kind and caring person. That's what it means to be a new creation. When Bible says that we are in Christ, all things have passed away, all things become new because we're new because of the power of God that completely transformed us and gave us a, a, a new name, a new life, and a new identity. And uh, one of the things that one of the chaplains, because the Bible, well, not the Bible, but the, the story goes is where after he was saved, not too long after that, he was involved in the prison ministry. And wouldn't you know that a man who had a past like he did, used to minister to men like who, like who he was, like himself. Men who were violent. Men who were criminals all their lives. Men who had no hope. Men who was beyond help. And yet, God used him to, to be the answer and the example of a new life and a new commitment and a new identity. And the, the, the chaplain who knew him and who had witnessed his ministry made this comment. He says, professionals could not do anything with him with all of the years of counseling. He says what they did or what they could not do through all of the years of professional counseling, Christ did in a moment of conversion. And you know, that is so powerful because that's real. That is real. And so we want to look at the power behind this new, this, uh, this uh, new creation. So we want to take a look at the life of another person who had a violent past. His name was Paul. So if you go with me to Acts chapter 8. Paul had a very colorful history. But I'm so blessed by reading a story like Oscar. Because I used to know, a, I had a friend, a good close friend. Who was a, a, a heroin addict. This was his life. He was in Vietnam. He was hooked on heroin. He came out. He sold heroin. He did heroin. He was strung out on heroin until God got a hold of him and changed his life completely. And God had used him tremendously for the youth. And, and I'll tell you, I was so blessed by seeing the change in his life and the, the example that he set because I looked up to him. Because seeing him made me realize how real God is. In Acts chapter 8, we read in verse 1. Where it says, now Saul was consenting to his death. He was referring to the death of Stephen, who was recorded was the first recorded martyr. In chapter 7, he had been stoned after preaching the gospel. <laughs> and after he had died, and, went, and as they were stoning him, the executors, there was one person, individual, standing off to the side, holding the coats of the ex executioners. That man was Saul. And it said that Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. It says that, the, that Saul was consenting to his death. The word consenting means pleased, content, and entirely approving. So we can see a, a, a hint of his personality. The fact that he stood there approved of what was going on, approved of, of the stoning, 
and consenting to the death of Stephen because he did not want to hear the gospel being preached. Now look down in verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. The Amplified Version says that Saul shamefully treated and laid waste the church continuously with cruelty and violence. Now go quickly to Acts chapter 9. And again, we're just taking a, a brief look into Paul's history. And this is Luke's account. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest in order to gain authorization. So we can see that Paul was a very committed person in what he was doing. Because he was still breathing murderous threats because he had one goal, and that's to wipe out Christianity. Now go down to verse 13, because this was the chapter that that Saul had an encounter with the Lord. And it was a dramatic change for him. Because after he was changed, at that moment, the moment he met up Christ, the moment he had that encounter, he was changed instantaneously, dramatically, radically. And at that point, he was blinded by the appearance of Jesus, and then he was dragged into the city of Damascus, where he was going to look for more Christians. And there he waited and fasted and prayed while he waited for the Lord. In the meantime, while all that was going on, God appeared to one of the disciples in Damascus named Ananias. And he told Ananias to go to Saul to lay hands on him that he might receive his sight. Ananias says in verse 13, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. In other words, Lord, do you know what you're asking me to do? Do you know what this man is about? Do you know his reputation? And you want me to go see him? Nevertheless, he obeyed. And he went to Saul's where he was staying, laid hands on him. Saul received his sight. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. And after eating and getting refreshed, the Bible says that Saul went back out and began to go to the synagogue and preach the gospel. Now look down in verse 21. And all those hearing him, meaning Paul, continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. This is what I want you to see here. Paul was very well known. He had a reputation for being the chief persecutor of all the church, of the Christian church. His reputation was widespread. He was known among the saved as well as the unsaved. He was, uh, the, the Christians, the saints, they were deathly afraid of him. So he had a very ruthless reputation. As a matter of fact, you can say that the apostle Paul was a spiritual bully. But he went about doing what he wanted to do, what he was good at, and searching for Christians and making, making them miserable. But the fact that the people were amazed at the change that took place in his life, they looked at him and said, this can't be the same person. We know this guy. We know what he can do. We know what he's done. We know what his reputation is. But yet they see this change in him, and they were amazed. When we take on a new identity, 
we know that a change takes place. We become a new creation. We take on this new life. And how many of you have experienced this before? And I'm sure most of you have. That the moment you receive Christ into your heart, you notice that there was a change that took place. And the people around you, your family, your friends, looked at you and said, there's something different about you. Some of them were probably amazed to see how you were saved and couldn't believe that, you're, that you were saved. Let me just say this. The moment people stop being amazed by your life, something is wrong. If they look at you and there's no indication of change, something's not right. It could be that maybe you forgot who you were. And when you don't know who you are, you don't act as you should. Think about that. People were amazed to see this dramatic change in Paul's life because they knew that this guy was ruthless. This guy was committed. This guy was out to catch every Christian, killing them, beating them, throwing them into prison, whatever it was, he was committed. But here's the problem with many believers today. Many believers are still stuck with their old lives and their old habits because they've been listening to the devil. And how many of you know that the devil is a liar? But he's speaking lies anyways. And unfortunately, there are many Christians who are listening. And what the devil has been telling Christians is that you're still the same person you used to be. And so, of course, when you believe that, you settle with that. And, of course, you begin to be who you used to be. And there are too many Christians that are listening to that and following that in their lives. And because of that, they're not growing they're not developing, and they're not getting any closer to God. Go quickly to Acts chapter 22. We're going to continue looking at Paul's testimony of his transformation, but this time we're going to look at Paul's account, his own account of his former life. Acts 22 and verse 4. Paul says this, I persecuted this way or this Christian faith to the death, binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women. Skip down to verse 19. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. Now quickly again, go to Galatians chapter 1. And in verse 13. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 13. He says, for you have heard of my former conduct. See, I love the way Paul approached this. He said, you have heard of my former life. In other words, Paul was saying, that's not my life anymore. But you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Now, what I like about Paul here is throughout his ministry, he, he would use his personal testimony. He would incorporate his personal testimony in his message. And it was very effective. And we know that personal testimonies can be very effective to people. When you talk about what God has done for you, it can be very effective and very powerful too to reach people, to you know, reach the lost. And Paul used this and he didn't hide his past, but he always reminded them that this is no longer who I am. This is who I am today. But he would incorporate his personal testimony because it was very effective. And one of the one, and I believe one of the reasons why 
he did that because he wanted to demonstrate the grace and the mercy and the power of God in his own life. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Beginning in verse 12. And we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures tonight. You're probably noticing that now, right? Verse 12 says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me or empowered me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Verse 13. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now this is what I want you to see. I, I love this. Paul said this, that Christ empowered me. Not only did he empower me, but he also counted me worthy or trustworthy and put me in the ministry. And he goes on to say, even though I was a formerly a blasphemer, a, a persecutor, and an insolent man, yet God still empowered me and counted me trustworthy and still put me in ministry. Now that tells me one thing. That when you and I become a new creation, when we take on a new identity, doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Doesn't matter how bad you were. Doesn't matter the shame, the, the shameful thing you've done. Doesn't matter how many people you've hurt. Doesn't matter how many people you've disappointed. The fact is that when you're in Christ, when you give your life to the Lord, you become a new creation. And when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you the same. He doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as a saint. And so that's why when, when we become new creatures and we take on this new identity, God is not reluctant to put you in ministry. God is not reluctant to empower you and to consider you trustworthy to be called into the ministry. See, that's what I love about the mercy of God. Because he doesn't hold your past against you. And there's some of us who still hanging on to the past. Why would you hang on to the past if God's considered it dead and no more and he's forgotten it? So I think it would be a good idea if we just forgot it as well. Amen? And you know, I, I really sense in my heart that, that someone needs to hear this tonight. And I say, can't seem to get over this because it, it's hindering you and it's preventing you from moving forward with God. And you don't need to be carrying that burden anymore. All things have passed away. All things have become new. That's got to be a reality to you. That's real. So whoever you are, let that go. Let that go. God wants to use us, our transformed lives, to be a blessing to others. You may have heard the story. Uh, while you're still in First Timothy. Well before I get there. Let me just say this. And you probably. And I shared this story before. So probably, some of you probably heard this before. But what really convinced me that Christ was real. What really convinced me that his power was, was real. Was when I had a friend who I used to hang with. When I saw the change in his life. And he was a pothead. His, his, uh, the only interest in his life was marijuana, his music collection, and then his family, in that order. 
And I remember we used to sit in his living room. This was my former life, so. As Paul says, this is my former life. We also sit around and smoke pot and we talk about God as the, as a topic of discussion. <laughs> we don't remember half the things we were talking about because everything seemed to be a haze. <laughs> but I can remember that he never really got into the conversation because it made him uncomfortable. Because as far as he was concerned, God was out of his life. He, he didn't want nothing to do with God. He already had his priority list already. And if it wasn't music, and if it wasn't marijuana, he didn't want to talk about it. And then circumstances came where we were separated for about a year until we reconnected once again. But when we reconnected, he was not the same person I used to know. And when he began to talk scriptures, and we can talk, talk about going to church, and just looking at his face and his whole countenance made me realize, wow, something's different about him. He's not the same person I used to know. And it was because of that that made me realize, I want what he has. See, I didn't know what I was actually seeing, but what I was actually seeing was the glory of God. The glory of the Lord in, his, in, in this man's life. And, and I'm saying that because, I'm just getting hit at myself. So let, let's, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you're still there. Let's go look at verse 14. And it says, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant... With faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus, exceeding abundant. The Amplified Version says this, that the grace of God actually flowed out super abundantly and beyond measure for me. And verse 15 says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, verse 16, this is what I want you to see. For this reason, I obtained mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern or as an example to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now let me read that to you from the New Living Translation so you can get a clearer picture of what Paul was talking about. Verse 16 says, But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. God wants to use every one of us to be an example for others to see. So when they see you, they say, I want what you have. When I saw my friend, I saw the glory of God. I saw the transformation that took place in his life because I knew what kind of person he was. So I could appreciate that because I saw the power of God completely change. And even I even checked with him the following week just to make sure this wasn't a phase he was going through. Or he wasn't on smoking something that day. But he was still speaking the same truth. And the more I got around him, the more I realized this is real. And I realized I want that. God wants to show himself real through us. And there's something about the transforming power of God working in your life so that other people see that they know that you've got something that they want and need. But you've got to know who you are. You've got to know who your identity is because if you don't know your identity, you're not going to act as you should. And therefore, God can't glorify you or glorify himself through you. And people can't see that there's a change in your life. 
People can't see that transforming power that's working. What Paul was simply saying is this. If God was patient and gracious enough to save Paul, God would be patient and gracious enough to save everyone else. Amen. Paul was the ultimate sinner. But when God got a hold of him, he became an ultimate saint. He was God's greatest enemy. And when God got a hold of him, he became God's useful servant. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. All things have passed away. All things become new. And you know, the Spirit of God plays a very important role here. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Jesus said that he will give us the Spirit to help us. And Pastor John had been teaching on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we can't forget that he has plays a very important role in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says this, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. The Amplified Version says this, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day after day. You're not the one renewing your spirit, man. It's the spirit of God that's doing that. He not only is renewing our spirit, but he's also reminding us who we are. Romans 8, 16 says this, for the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let me read that to you from the message translation. God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are. He's Father with his children. So it's a spirit, the Holy Spirit's role to always remind us of who we are because there are tendency that we may forget We have the potential to be everything that God wants us to be. To be more and more like Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 says this, And they, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, into righteousness and holiness. And I used to read this all the time, and I never got it until now. He says, when you put on the new man, which God created according to his to righteousness and holiness. In other words, God has created this new man to resemble himself. To resemble the father, to resemble the father. Look at what um, Romans 8.29 says. Romans 8 verse 29 says this, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That word conform means to, to be made similar to or to fashion like. And the fact that God, his whole purpose, his whole desire, the fact that he predestined us to become more and more like Christ. And that's where the spirit of God comes in because he is doing that every day of our lives. Renewing our spirit man, strengthening our spirit man. 
making us become more and more like him. And boy, I thank God for the Holy Ghost. So the standard of renewal is after the image of him that created him. In other words, Christ himself is the standard of spiritual excellence by which we are to be recreated. And we're being renewed each day by the Spirit of God to meet that standard so that we can become more and more like him. Now go to Galatians chapter 2. This is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Chapter 2 and verse 20. God doesn't, when he looks at you, he no longer sees sinners. He sees saints. The moment that we come to Christ, we identify with his death, we identify with his resurrection, we identify with ascension, God will look at us and consider us as dead to sin, alive unto God, and seated with his son at his right hand. That is how God looks at us. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Let me say that again. I have been crucified with Christ. To be crucified means to be dead. And he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul is saying here that his identification with Christ is so complete that he can say that it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives with him. He understood that. This is where our identity lies. This is where our identity begins. Because when he says Christ lives in me, there's there's a very significant meaning to that verse. Because what he's trying to say to us is this. God just doesn't, I mean, Jesus doesn't want to just live in us. He just doesn't want to dwell and sit in us. He wants to be active in us. He wants to fully express himself in our lives. When we talk about wanting to live in us, that's the word to live is a verb, which implies action. That means Christ wants to be active in our lives. So he wants to fully express himself through us. So by allowing Christ to live out his life through us, It's the key to living out our true identity. That's important for you to remember. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have to come to the realization that what is going on in this body and in this spirit is the very expression of the Lord Jesus Christ being active in our lives. Paul says he no longer lives, but Christ lives in him. He understood that idea. He understood that. As a matter of fact, Paul knew that he could not live life without Christ. He knew that that in order for him to get through life, in order for him to get through the ministry, he knew that he needed Christ. He needed. He knew that he needed Christ to to uh, to live through him, to to uh, express himself through him. In other words, what he was simply saying was this: Lord, I can't live without you. I can't live another day. Unless you're with me. So Lord, live, I, I trust in you to live inside of me and to express yourself through me. So whenever I face a, an issue, whenever I face uh, a problem, whenever I'm in ministry, whenever I'm in marriage, whenever I'm in school or at work, Lord, I need you to live through me to help me to deal with everyday life. 
That's what Paul was saying here. When he says, I am crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The secret was this, and the life that I now live in my flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's the secret. So the purpose of everything that we experience in life is that life is the life of Jesus is also being manifested in our lives. If you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, uh, let me skip that one, go to verse 8. It says this, Paul says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10, Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Let me read that to you in the New Living Translation, the last verse. He says, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. That word manifest means to make apparent, or to appear, or to show forth. In other words, Christ wants to show himself through us. When people look at us, they should see Jesus. Amen. Don't you agree? They should see Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here. Christ wants to manifest himself every day of our lives. One of the most frustrating things that many Christians go through in life is trying to live the Christian life and failing. No matter how hard they try to live the Christian life, they still always fall short. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, I have a solution for that. Stop trying to live the Christian life. Stop living the Christian life. Because you and I can't do it. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. It's impossible for you and I to try to live the Christian life. We can't do it. That's why we need Christ. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. See, we need to have that same attitude. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. Therefore, we need to stop trying to live the Christian life and allow Christ to do it for us or to live it through us. That's the good news because he's willing to offer. He's offering himself to live through us, to help us to live this life. And I, I tell you what, I need him just as much as you do. I need his help just as much as you need his help. Now, as I get ready to close, and I know I'm closing early, go to Second Peter chapter 1. When we allow Christ to live in us, He can express His perfect love. He can express His power. He can express His, his holiness. He can express His righteousness. He can express His wisdom. He can express everything that He is. You know, I heard a preacher once share this story. He said this concerning the Christian life. He said, trying to live the Christian life is like wishing that he can do all the things that Michael Jordan does on the basketball court. How many of you wish you was like a Michael Jordan? 
Now, if Michael Jordan was to write a book to explain how he does everything on the court, then he said he would buy the book, read it, and give it a shot. But see, that's not, that's not going to work. The reason for that is because he doesn't have Michael Jordan's legs. He doesn't have Michael Jordan's height. He doesn't have Michael Jordan's hands. He doesn't have his ability, his jumping ability, or his athleticism. He doesn't have any of that, so it's not going to work. Now, if it was possible for Mike to say, let me enter into your body, and I will use your hands, and I will use your, your, your legs, and then we can jump all over the place, dunking basketballs all day, and do everything that I do on the basketball court. Then that's okay. Then we're in business. But we know that's not reality. Right? You do know that's not reality. <laughs> Just checking. But allowing Jesus Christ to express his life through us is a reality. He can come into our lives, take our hands, take our mouths, take our minds, take our legs, take our spirit, and do everything that he did on this earth. Because we allow him to express himself. Amen. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 3 says this, And his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me read that to you from the New Living Translation. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous and glorious excellence. In other words, he wants to provide us with everything that we need in life to do everything that he did on this earth. And I'll tell you what, man, that is a powerful thing. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 30 says this, but of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Paul is saying that through Christ, in Christ, and with Christ, that the believers will receive wisdom from God, and to be able to experience righteousness, sanctification, and redemption through Him. In other words, when we receive Christ and allow Him to express Himself, we receive the whole package. Amen. And as long as we join together with Christ, he becomes the source of all of these blessings in our lives. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, if any man abide in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. In other words, your life will be a productive life, a fruitful life, a life of victory. But apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. So through Jesus, there is nothing that you and I cannot do. Matthew 19, verse 26, Jesus says that with men this is impossible, with, with God all things are possible. And in Philippians 4, 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, having said all that, if you gave me Mozart's fingers 
There's not a musical piece that I cannot play. If you gave me Einstein's mind, there's not a mathematical problem that I cannot solve. If you had given me Big Poppy's power, there's not a home run that I cannot hit. Give me the life of Jesus Christ. And there's no victory that I cannot achieve. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you, Father God, for your word. We thank you, Father, for your presence. We thank you for all that you've done. Father, I believe, Father God, that you've spoken to many of us here tonight. Father, you had a timely word, Father God. I thank you for encouraging the saints. I thank you for speaking to their hearts. I thank you for showing yourself real, Father God, in the name of Jesus. And now, Father, I just thank you, Father God, for as they leave here tonight, Father God, that the word will continue to resonate in their spirit. Father, that that word will become alive. And Father, that that word will guide them and give them the strength that they need, Father God. Father, I thank you that tonight you met every need. I thank you, Father, for meeting them right where they are. I thank you, Father, that you've had a face-to-face encounter with each one of them tonight. With a timely word. Father, I thank you for just being faithful and being so committed to your children. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray.